Well, we'll be turning to Psalm 22, and the text today is verse 12. So, as you're turning there, let me briefly, once again, just kind of give us a little bit of an update on this chapter, or this psalm. It is dealing with our Lord Jesus in regards to the crucifixion. Uh, This is plain, not only as we can read it and hopefully have a Christian eye to it, But especially, though, as we turn to the New Testament scriptures and in the gospel accounts, we do see that some of the things that are mentioned in this psalm are given there in the gospel accounts. So we know then it is speaking of Jesus Christ. So the words of our psalm, while they were written by David, as it says there, a psalm of David, we do know they are actually the words of Jesus Christ as he was upon the cross. And of course, he's saying all these things unto his father during the time of his agonies. So verse 12 is what we're going to look at today. So let's, let me read that to us. It says here, many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. Now, as one reads through the scripture, I think it becomes very apparent that God uses uh, different kind of forms and different kinds of speeches in conveying a particular thought or particular truth. So figures of speech, as they're often called, are not unusual when we come to the Bible. In fact, it's not unusual in any type of conversation or writings that we may do or have. Oftentimes, we find many things that God uses in nature to communicate a particular truth or to say something uh, that would be what we would say hit home to us. We would understand and have an idea about it. And these figures or speech are used in order to help us. They're not given to necessarily cloud things, though that can be true. Even Jesus said, I speak these things so that they won't understand it. But oftentimes, uh, they're spoken so that just the common individual like us can understand these things. So God does this not only to help us, but also just to convey the truth itself. And those things speak about really a host of things. It's not just a few things that God does this with, but it's it's many uh, kinds of things that he uses in order to teach us some truth. Now, sometimes, though, they can be kind of difficult to make out. There's no doubt about that. We're not here to say that, oh, we can understand every single word of the Bible. That's just not necessarily true. I don't think, though, that the Bible is a great mystery in and of itself. You know, Peter tells us that there are things that are hard, but he just says there are some things. He didn't say all of it was hard, all of it's difficult, and none of it can be understood. He never said that. He just said there are some hard things. So sometimes, at least for us, as we're 2,000 years divorced from some of these Uh, things in the scripture and our uh, society and our culture in which we live. Sometimes, though, those things can be a little difficult to make out. And sometimes that difficulty is because, uh, really us, but it's also in the sense that we don't know how far to take those figures of speech. Do we take them to the absolute end or do we just kind of realize God's just making a point here And we just kind of skim the surface of it and have just a basic understanding. 
Now, I'm being very simplistic at this point. I'm not standing here today to give us all a, a lesson on these sorts of things. But we do know that God, for instance, uses parables. Uh, we see that in the scripture. There's a, uh, you know, deals with that. He uses proverbs. Uh, we see a whole book by Solomon on those things. He uses similitudes. That, that word's actually used in the book of Hosea. He uses uh, allegories. Uh, that's another word that's used in the book of Galatians as he's describing the two covenants. Uh, we also know there are metaphors and such figures of speech. As that. In fact, there are tons of them, and a lot of them I can't even pronounce. Uh, the words that we, I know what they are, I know what they mean, but sometimes the difficulty for me is getting them out. And another thing about them is that we all use them. Uh, we use them today, we'll use them tomorrow, and they were used in days gone by. And as I said, most certainly the Bible uses them. And again, we've got to remember that the Bible was written in the common vernacular. It wasn't something that was written way up here, and so only the, the elite could understand it. It was a common book written in common language. And even today, as we have our translation, it's certainly written in a common uh, a language. It's English as far as we're concerned, and it's a common If you can understand fifth grade to seventh grade English, you can understand the Bible, at least as far as the words are concerned. Now, our psalm here, and our, particularly our verse, has some figures of speech. He says here, but, uh, or says, many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. Now, Psalm 22, we've already seen some figures of speech, haven't we? Let's go back up to verse 6, and I'll use this kind of as an example here a little bit. But you notice in verse 6, he says, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. Now again, we know this is Christ speaking here. But he tells us here that he's a worm. Now, we can know that that was just a figure of speech. Now, our Lord Jesus was not literally a worm, was he, children? It wasn't one of those things that was wiggling out on the ground. He was not, he wasn't one of those. He was actually a man. He was a real human. We, we, we talk about how that the fact that the Scripture teaches us that Jesus Christ, uh, God, came in the flesh. So he was a literal man, but he was not a literal wor worm. But he uses the term worm here, and he's showing us here something of a comparison. He's really saying, I'm like a worm in this sense, that I'm... I'm nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm a reproach. And he goes on to explain really what it means there. I'm a reproach of men and despised of the people. You know, worms are not normal. Unless you're one of those folks that really gets into critters. But worms aren't one of those, you know, you want to pile around with. It's just not a animal that, you know, you'd make a, one of your prized pets. I suppose some would, but I realize that's just not the norm, is it? But he's using this word warm here to describe something of his sufferings and, of course, the rejection of men. And thus then he's compared to like a worm. 
And of course, as being a worm, we know that to be just an animal. And it is amazing how often in Scripture that God uses animals to convey truth. It uses lots of kinds of animals. We think, for instance, sheep. That's the elect in the, new, in the Bible, isn't it? When we think of sheep, those are folks who are the elect of God. When we think of goats, we think of the folks who are not elect. Uh, our Lord Jesus, as you remember, is called the Lamb of God. Now, was He really a lamb going around? Bad? No, He wasn't. He was a sheep. I mean, He was a man who had a likeness in His idea as a sheep or a lamb. And we see that all through the Scriptures. Now, I know I'm laboring this, but I'm doing so for a point. And then as I know, there are young folks here who read their Bibles, and they probably scratch their head at times, and they read something like verse 6, I'm a worm. And they go, wow, really? What does that mean? So we're talking about this in order just to help them as well. But those particular animals that we see in the Scripture, they show us, they have characteristics that can remind us of certain characteristics about ourselves. So here in our psalm, then, animals are spoken of in order for us to see something of the truth of God that He's want to convey to us. And there are five animals, by the way, that are mentioned in Psalm 22. I don't know if you had time to think that over or thought about that, but there are five particular animals. One is a worm, that's found in verse 6. In verse 12... The bulls are mentioned. Verse 13, we see lion. Verse 21, we see lions, plural. Verse 16, we see dogs. And then in verse 21, we see unicorns. One, two, three, four. Yes, five animals that are mentioned here. Three of these animals are directed towards his enemies. So in other words, when he uses certain words, three animals, they're going to be directed not about himself, not about God, not about anything but his enemies that are out there in the crowd. And one of those is what we see here in verse 12, and that is the word bulls. So here the word bulls is used. So in opening up this passage, I want us to consider several things. And I'm going to speak, as I said, very plainly here. And uh, because, again, I want some of the young folks to understand. And, and believe it or not, I'm sure even the older folks here will get something out of this because we all want to know how to rightly understand the Bible. We just don't want to read it so we can get the numbers of chapters done that day that we think we have to read. We want to read it so we can have some understanding. And we need to understand things. And in order to do that, of course, then we have to, and the, the word is, we have to interpret it, did we not? And uh, the science or the art of that is called hermeneutics. Now, it's just a fancy word. doesn't mean anything to us as far as that goes. But this simply means it's the science and the art of interpretation. Someone who wants to interpret the Bible and they use certain uh, devices or mechanics to do that. They're simply doing something that is using the, the, the techniques of hermeneutics, which, by the way, is translated, the word for hermeneutics, is translated interpretation or interpreting in the Bible itself. So it's a biblical word as far as that goes. So, now, someone using unsound hermeneutics or some unsound way of trying to understand the Bible 
they would say, ah, look, it says bulls here. So this then is really talking about bulls, the kind out there in the pasture that you may run across. If you were to go to a farmer or some rancher who had cattle, you would very well may see in his barn or out in the field one of his bulls, a real, live, honest bull. We have a farmer in our congregation, and, and I know that at least, I suppose you still have your bull, and he uses that, of course, to make other cows, so to speak. But he has one, and he could probably tell you something more about the temperament of a bull than I ever could, because I'm just not around bulls that much. So is our Lord Jesus here saying that many bulls have compassed me? Well, if you were saying here this morning, oh, I think it means literally a bull. Well, what do we do with that? Again, someone may say it like this. Well, it says bull, so that's what it means. The Bible means what it says. Or it says what it means. Well, that's a nice sounding phrase, but it's not always necessarily true. There are many, some, there's a lot of passages, at least for me, because I'm not that bright. But there are a lot of passages in the scripture. I know what they say because I can read fifth grade English. But I don't necessarily know what they mean. The book of Revelation, most of you know that I'm certainly not a prophecy expert at all. And that's why it's going to be one of the last books that I'll ever expound in my ministry, most likely if I live that long. I know what it says because I can read it. My problem is I don't know what it means. And I'm sure that's true for some of you as well. So my question here this morning, children, are these real bulls? Do you think there were really bulls out there that were surrounding our Lord Jesus? Well, as I said, if one was to take these things literally and sticking them to the text and say, yes, that, were bull, that was bull, that was, uh, these were bulls that were there. Well, how would we answer that to say, well, they're really not? Well, one of the things we would say, if this were really bulls, there had to have been a lot of them. Because he says here that they compassed him. And if there were a lot of bulls there, there wouldn't have been a whole lot of people there. And if you know anything about bulls, they're not necessarily the most friendliest of things to be around. They can cause a lot of trouble. They can reap a lot of havoc. If you've ever seen what they call a bullfight, you know, the old matador stands there with his red cape and he waves at him in front of the bull and the bull kind of goes mad and goes at him. I don't know if that has anything to do with the red cape, children, but you see it on TV, so it must be real if it happens on TV, right? So what's he saying here? Well, remember when he said he was a worm? We know that that was really not a worm, wasn't it? And why is that? Because our Lord Jesus was truly a man. But then he goes on to say, in that same verse, this is another, another way of looking at this and trying to figure out what it's saying here. 
he says, I'm a worm and no man. Oh, now we got trouble, don't we? He says he's a worm, and we know that's true, but now he goes on to say he's not a man. Well, how do we know he's not? I mean, how do we know that that's not literal there? Because there's plenty of places in the Bible, for instance, that teaches us that he was a real man. In fact, to deny that Christ was a real man, the Bible says that's the spirit of Antichrist. That's some, that would be, if, if someone came to us here and he was preaching, he says, by the way, Jesus was not really a man. And he even quotes perhaps Psalm 22 and verse 6 to prove his point. What should we think of that fellow? Well, John has already told us what we should think of that fellow. John tells us that that's the spirit of Antichrist. John tells us that that's a false prophet. 1 John chapter 4 and verses 1 through 3. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. Hereby we ye know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should, say, should come, and even now already is in the world. So we can't take verse 6 and say, well, that's what it says, so that's what it means, can we? No. So it has to be interpreted, does it not? We have to understand here that other scriptures explain the scriptures. We have that in our confession, you know, the idea that we're to compare spiritual things with spiritual, and that's from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I think verse 14, maybe, or 12. Or no, it's verse 13. And then also the principle in our confession where it says then we make the we take the hard verses and we explain them by the easier verses so that we can understand. So when we come then to verse 12, were there real bulls in the crowd? The answer, of course, is no. Now, how do we know this? Well, first of all, we weren't there, were we? So we can't prove it that way. But another way we can think of it, there was no other scripture in the New Testament or anywhere else in the Bible that would remind us or tell us that there were real, live, honest bulls at the crucifixion. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that. We come to the Gospels in the New Testament. We read of the severity account of our Lord Jesus suffering on the cross. And it says absolutely nothing about bulls being there. And as I said earlier, it would be a little impossible to have all those bulls around there. They're not necessarily tame animals, are they? And since verse 13 goes with verse 12, we kind of have an idea that bulls don't talk. And that's what verse 13 tells us is going to be happening. They gape upon me with their mouths, so we know then they're talking to him. They're speaking evil of him. Then bulls don't talk. So thus then we can conclude here that verse 12 is not speaking of real bulls. Oh, now what is he saying then? So what is this text actually telling us? 
Well, this text is teaching us by what it does say is that our Lord Jesus is comparing his enemies out there in the crowd who were there at the crucifixion watching all of this, watching him suffering. He says that they were bulls. Notice he says, he says, there were many bulls that have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan. So they're not literal bulls, but our Lord Jesus is saying here that his enemies are like bulls. So in our psalm, we see worm, we see bulls, we see lions, and we see dogs, and we see unicorns. So what we have to do here is try to determine from Scripture what these animals then represent to us as we read these things. For instance, and this is just a for instance, another part of how we figure these things out. Verse 20 says, the word dog, deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. I think by now we understand that's not a real dog out there. But there are times in the Bible the word dog does mean literally dog. For instance, Exodus eleven seven. that's a real dog. Judges 7, 5, that's a real dog. But when we turn to Isaiah 56, verse 11, that's not real dogs. And I don't have time to go to those verses, but they're there. You can read them. 2 Peter 2, verse 22, that's a real dog. But he's explaining there, he's talking about apostates. I'll read that one to you. But it happened unto them according to the true proverb. This is taken from uh, uh, the book of Proverbs. The dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. If you read the context of that, that's, those, that's people who have made a confession and then they turn from it, they fall away from it. He says they are like the dog who goes back to his vomit and eats it. Have you ever watched Dogs do that. Not very appetizing, but that's what they do. He says that is what someone who makes a profession and turns from it is like. He goes back to his old sinful ways. The vomit, so to speak. Revelation 22 verse 15. That's not speaking about real dogs either. But they're talking about those things which are unclean, the unclean people. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. Philippians 3.2, it's not speaking about real dogs, but it's talking about probably Jews at this point. Paul tells us, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, Beware of the concision. I'll take it generally, it just means anyone who's a false teacher. So we see then how that these kind of things are used throughout the Scripture. And we'll go over this again when we get to verse uh, 20 and we talk about dogs there. So bulls in our text then are not representing real bulls, they're representing men, real men at this point. And in this case, it is wicked men. 
Now notice, secondly, in this description, he tells us regarding bulls, first of all, that there are many, lots of them. Secondly, he tells us that they're strong bulls. Thirdly, he tells us they're strong bulls of this place called Bashan. And then fourthly, it tells us here, or he tells us that they compass him or uh, compass him. They beset me round, he says, which means simply that they encircle him. He's there on the cross hanging, and those are the men that are out there who were wicked and evil. You remember in a previous sermon, we talked about the people who were standing around the cross during his crucifixion. There were the soldiers, there were those religious people, the elders, the uh, the Pharisees and the chief priests, uh, chief priests, the scribes, but also there was his mother, there was John the disciple, there were other women, there were those two thieves. All of those were there at the cross. But it's to the evil and wicked men that he's speaking of here. He's not calling his disciple John a bull. He's not calling his mother a bull. He's calling his... Call, Calling those who are in the crowd who are against him. Which, of course, have been the Pharisees, the scribes, the elders, the priests, and the soldiers. Those were his real enemies. And he's telling us here his enemies are like bulls. There were many bulls. They were strong bulls. They were bulls of Bashan in their conduct. Now, let me explain the idea of Bashan, and this will help us to see, I think, the first part of the passage itself. Now, Bashan was a geographical spot there in the land of Canaan. It was just east of the Jordan River. You recall, if you read in the Old Testament, especially in the law, that the half-tribe of Manasseh were the ones who were going to be able to take that land. They didn't want to go over the Jordan. They wanted to stay on this side. They said, look, this is rich and fertile, and this is good enough. We'll be happy here. Previously, the land was inhabited by giants. There was the king of Bashan, who was known as Og, O-G, in the scriptures. But the children of Israel destroyed him, and they destroyed any other uh, remnant of the giants that were there and everything else that was in that particular area. But Bashan, though, as a land, was a land that was very rich and it was very fertile. And that was a land where the Bible itself boasts about how rich and fertile it was. That they had great lambs and sheep. They had great goats. And they had fat cattle. And as for the land itself, it could raise and it could sustain such animals like that. So we're talking about a place that could sustain bulls that would be very numerous and very big and very powerful. It was also known for its great oaks. That's another thing you read about in the scripture about Bashan. So when it's mentioned here, the bulls of Bashan, one can understand that these were not scrawny little helpless cow, male cows out there. These were, they weren't like the kind. Remember, 
Joseph interpreting the dream of Pharaoh. Pharaoh talked about some uh, really scrawny cows that were that came up, and Joseph interprets that. Remember, he says those were cows, or that's what they were. Kai, they were cows. They were talking about cows there, but that's not the way it is here. Bashan supplied well fed and nourished, strong and mighty and fierce bulls. They weren't little bitty cries, guys. And they weren't nice bulls. They were mean bulls. They were a very healthy breed of bulls. And another figure of them, they're described in the book of Amos chapter 4 and verse uh, one, uh, he says, "Hear this word, ye kind, that's a cow, of Bashan, that are in the mountain of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, bring and let us drink.' You get the idea there. These bulls are bossy. These bulls are mean and fierce and ferocious, and they don't mess around. They devour people." They tell their own own masters, their boss, look, you come and bring me food. Don't you just come out. I know, you bring me the food, he says. So these these are cows you didn't want to mess with. And this is what our Lord Jesus here is describing here. He says, those men out there, they're like bulls, raging, fierce bulls. Psalm 68 has, and verse 30 says that there were the multitude of bulls. So our Lord here is comparing his enemies in this crowd before him like bulls in their action. Their characteristic, he says, are like bulls. They're hateful people. And their hatred against him burned and because they were wicked people. They were violent people. They were strong people as far as their offices and everything was concerned. Ezekiel 39.18 says, Ye shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink of the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, and of goats, of bullocks, all of them fatlings of Bashan. So our Lord then, as He looks out there upon the cross, as He's hanging there in His agonies and His sufferings, He sees these his enemies and he compares them to bulls now think about this again we talked about it last week a little bit how that you know all this suffering he's going through and his mind begins to use his figures of speech to convey this truth to god himself he's laboring and under all this hardship and agony and pain and Everything else that's associated with a crucifixion. And then his father's wrath bearing down upon him. And he begins to think in a sense of metaphors about his enemies. We all know what a bully is. Especially it gets a lot of press today in the media. Bullies. They pick on people, don't they? One of the things about a bully, he bullies them about That's what this means here. Those were bullies, spiritually speaking, out there in the crowd. 
and they were angry against him. And they were showing no pity towards him. And they were big bullies, large and strong, as Calvin mentions there in his comment upon that particular passage. He goes on to say, all of this denotes the cruelty and the barbarous rage of his enemies as he compares them to bulls. Isaiah 51 verse 20 says, Thy sons have fainted. They lie at the head of all the streets as a wild bull in a net. They are full of the fury of the Lord, the rebuke of thy God. One goes on to comment, he says, The bull is known to be a fierce animal, and those of Bashan for its luxuriant pastures were uncommonly so. Another commentator said this, he said, In a very fit name, this was for the kings and princes of the earth, for Caiaphas, Annas, and the chief priests that lived upon the fat of the land, who beset Christ round and employed all their power and policy to take him and to bring him to death. Nor is it unusual with heathen writers to compare great personages to bulls. Now, I'm sure there are many things that can be drawn from this that I'm not able to do this morning or in time, but let's think about three things, I think. Yeah, three things as we consider this piece of Scripture dealing with the rage and the anger of our Lord's enemies towards Himself. First of all, this shows us something of the absolute depravity of man. This shows us how bad man can be without God's restraint upon them. This is how the person sitting next to you could be like if it were not for God's restraining mercy. That's how I would be. That's how any of us could be against God. That's how much the human heart has against God, against Christ. That's apart from God restraining it. That's how bad we really are. You know, we think of ourselves, we're not that bad. We're not that, I, I wouldn't be one of the ones out in the crowd saying those things. Crucify Him, crucify Him. I know I would. And I don't know all about my heart, but I have a feeling I would be one of those that would scream, crucify him, crucify him. But that's man by nature. That's us. That's us. Secondly, this shows us something here of the unconditional love of our Lord Jesus towards his people to re- bear the reproach of all of this upon himself. He willingly and joyfully, as we talked about before, took this, knowing it was going to take place for for, forever. Our Lord Jesus knew that he was going to be facing those bulls of Bashan out there before him. And yet he willingly went to the cross, looking forward to the joy that was set before him because of his great love for us, his people. 
And then thinking upon the flow of thought in this passage, we don't want to forget that either, that there is a context of all this, is that this is the very opposite of himself, who was meek and mild. He's not a raging bull, is he? When he came here upon the earth in his humiliation, he wasn't that way at all. He was as a lamb led to the slaughter, you remember. Another thing about the context and full of thought about this is that it bears relation to the previous verse. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Think about this. He's saying here, I'm helpless. I need help. But there are folks out there in the crowd who are like raging, strong, fierce bulls. It's the very opposite of him, isn't it? He needs help. That's why he's calling out for it. Why his enemies are having their way with him. And then lastly, this is just another holy argument that our Lord offers offers up unto his Father. Because again, who's he speaking to here? He's not speaking to the crowd. This verse is not directed towards them in the sense that he's saying that to them. He's saying this to God, his Father. He says in verse 11 again, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. And he's going to go on and say something else next week. But again, this is what he's telling his Father. So that his Father will hear him and be heard and deliver him. Well, we'll stop there, and Lord willing, we'll pick up with verse 13 next time. So we'll break until about 11 o'clock, and then we'll come back and uh, begin services again. So may God bless that to us. Amen.